Hey guys, it's your boy Devin Ashby, SKA Play by Play, asking you to like and subscribe, but also to spread the word about my new book, PG vs. Mocha, a memoir of high school football in the shadow of the nation's capital. The state of Maryland has produced some of the top names in college football and the NFL, from private school sensations like Trayvon Diggs and Chase Young, to the public schools that are responsible for Joe Hayden, Navarro Bowman, Sean Merriman, Trayvon Diggs, and Jake Funt, to name a few. This book is a collection of interviews and personal accounts from journalists, coaches, fans, and former and current players from public schools in two of Maryland's most prominent counties, Prince George's and Montgomery, that aims to tell our story and raise awareness on what's brewing in the area we affectionately call the DMV. I would appreciate it if you all could support by purchasing a copy on Amazon and spreading the word to friends and family. Thank you all for your love and support, and be sure to like and subscribe. Play analysis, Devin Nashby on the mic, so you know it's hella lit. Better plug your headphones in on Apple Podcasts, and we up on Spotify. Ooh. On Anchor too, no parachute, we so fly. We talking sports and music, what's the newest in that culture? Better stream, yeah, you better tune in. It ain't gonna cost ya. We talking sports and music, what's the newest? Got exclusive, yeah, we do this play by play. Follow the page, eh? If you don't know, don't worry about it. And what is going on, everybody? It's another edition of the Play-by-Play Analysis Podcast. It's your boy, Devin Ashby, SK Play-by-Play. If you know, you know. If you don't know, don't worry about it. How do you explain what the hell we watched this weekend? I don't know, but I got I got two boys to help me try to do that. You know, two familiar guests, and for those that don't remember, Xavier... My man is the money man. He's down in Florida doing his thing down here. My man's actually been in surgery, as you can see, the waves, you know, that have come through in the in the building and stuff. So what's going on, Brother X? Appreciate you always having me on, bro. As always, it's an honor to be here. And um, shout out to you, too, man. You're the money man, too, now. You just got a lot of money man rolling around here now. You in the big moves you're doing with ESPN. Can't wait to see the uh, great stuff you're going to be doing. Uh, not too long from now. Right, in the not-so-distant future. You know, we, we love to see it out here. Um, and my other guest, you know, familiar face at this point. He's almost like an unofficial official co-host. Hosted the D1 Ignite University podcast. My brother, Jamal, what is going on, man? Fresh from the cold of Missouri. What's going on, bro? Say, man, that, that's why I stay in the South. I don't know how to deal with that. It's, it's, it's a Texas thing, Shawty, and that ain't one, though. Right, I may have to move down south eventually. We'll see how this next eighteen months goes, <laughs> but I, I can't keep doing this ten degree Connecticut weather up here, man. This, this, you know, so, so I hear that better, better than you than me. Because the second they see my Twitter history, ESPN go look at me and say, "Yeah, no." Yeah, it's some tweets I may have to go scrub later, but you know, I meant what the hell I said when I said it. <laughs> but you know. I meant that. You know, at the risk of getting everybody fired, let's just move on. Um, I slandered, I meant it. Yeah, yeah. So, we are here to talk about one of the craziest weekends in recent NFL wildcard history. Or not wildcard, but playoff history. You know, and 
I feel like not that many people should be surprised considering the way the regular season went. You know, a lot of people argue that this was one of the more parody-having regular seasons we've had in terms of just a week-to-week basis of people that were losing big games. So for the playoffs to go this way, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising, but it's still it's just like, bro, I did not expect three walk-off kicks and one walk-off win in overtime. Like, that just... And then the ebbs and flows of the games themselves. I don't even know where we can begin. I guess we can begin with arguably the most boring of the four games. Green Bay and San Francisco, funny enough, is probably the most boring game of the weekend, and that says a lot. Um, That game, you know, a battle of just a lot of ideologies and a lot of, uh, you know, games, but... Superstar versus a word I'm not allowed to stay on here right. followed by star. Maga Man Bosa versus QA Ron, Throw Rogan, whatever you want to call him. You know, he was out here. But, you know, uh, besides that, on the field, the Packers came in. They were the number one seed in the NFC. So a lot of people had a lot of expectations. Of course, we've been here before. So we know that it don't guarantee much of anything. And so in typical Green, Green Bay is one 2010 Super Bowl away from being the Dallas Cowboys. In all seriousness. Because, the yeah. The definition of choke. Just, just choking. It, it, it's like a child with a toy in his mouth, man. It's just, it's ridiculous. Like, what? People are going to sit here, and a lot of people are just going to take the easy road out and blame the special teams unit. And that block punt at the end and the, and the two missed extra points and, and, and a handful of other blown stuff that happened throughout the game. That is too easy. This is entirely on Mr. Throw Rogan, you know. the, the Mr. Mr. Discount Double Check himself. Uh-huh, the Wuhan Warrior, whatever you want to call him. It's on him because to score 10 points, to score 10 points at home, and it's supposedly supposed to be this home field advantage with the cold weather and, and all this talk about, oh, I just feel faster and stronger and more powerful. And you you just so powerful, you score 10 whole points. And your defense only gave up 13. Defense only gave up 13 points. You're supposed to win. Well, defense technically I, only gave up three. <laughs> you know? True. True. You know, if we're being honest, if we're talking about it, if we want to talk about something, that defense... We talking about these are two defenses coming in. San Fran has the number three in the league, you know, led by a black man, Demeco Ryan's. And then um, on the other side, Green Bay. I don't know what their numbers are, but like they've played really well throughout the year, you know. And they were getting a bunch of guys healthy, like Jair Alexander's and Darius Smith, guys who've made the Pro Bowl and All Pro teams. So no excuses for Aaron Rodgers is the point we're getting to. You can say what you want about them Bosa boys' political views and their ideology, but damn, can they get after that passer? Mm-hmm. Man, you it it, and it's funny to see both of them because, as you may not know, I am a Chargers fan, so I, I get to watch the other Bosa on a weekly basis, and they're so different. Like Nick is so much more athletic than Joey. Yeah, Joey. Joey's not a great athlete. He's just so great with his hands and his technique. He makes it look so easy. You know who Joey reminds me of? Sean Merriman. He reminds me of Sean Merriman. 
That's who he honestly reminds me of because Sean Merriman wasn't exactly the most athletic either. Even though he was not necessarily an edge rusher, he was an outside linebacker, but he wasn't necessarily the most athletic. But he did have the skill and he did have the technique. And he was from PG County. Shout out to us. (laughs) But what they all have in common is that damn motor. They do not give up on plays. They don't stop. Technically, the ends, unless it's an outside run, it's not really their job for run for run stopping. It's really not, especially for Bosa in a 3-4. Like, the outside edge, it's really not your job for run support, but they do it anyway. And it's, it's beautiful to watch, despite yeah. how they think yeah, it was beautiful. It was beautiful to watch that game from a defensive standpoint. Every single time the 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 Packers or not the Packers, every single time the Niners needed a big stop, they got one. Like you remember the big pass to Aaron Jones down the sideline right before halftime. Which, by the way, if he keeps running straight, that is a walk-in touchdown. I don't see why he tries to split the safety or make him turn around. Like, bro, just run, just run. You know, like I don't get that. I don't know if he was trying to. I don't know if he overestimated the dude and how close he was. I don't know if he was point shaving and somebody had held his well, parents for ransom. Let me ask y'all this. Let me ask y'all this. That play in particular. Can you name any other play in that game where Aaron Rodgers did anything else impressive besides that? Because that was a very nope. impressive throw. But other than that, I don't remember anything else notable that he did in that game. He's Aaron Rodgers even though he's not a super athlete, he's not a statue out there. Aaron Rodgers is good at escaping. Now, now, obviously, he can't outrun that pass rush forever, but he made some good escapes that game. But they weren't followed by great throws, so it doesn't really matter. Right. There was like one or two really good throws to Devontae Adams, but I mean, you're going to get those every game. Like you're going to Devontae going to get his, but. Like X said, it was not an overly impressive performance on his part. And that's what I'm getting at. Aside from uh, aside from that big throw. And then right after that throw, the offense just fell apart. Because it's like you get down there and then Joey Bosa gets a sack fumble. Or not Joey. Nick Bosa gets a sack fumble. Um, then they, you know, they got the run up and spike the ball. And then a block field goal right before halftime. You know, and that's how the half ends. When they should have gone in maybe fourteen nothing or seven or fourteen three or whatever at the at that at that point. And yeah, like that just was awful. That was was awful on the Packers part. But also I think we give too much uh too much of oh the Packers didn't get it done. No. Demeco Ryan's called a hell of a game. They they he, he did. He called a hell of a game. Like that I don't, and I think a lot of people forget that he was a hell of a player. Too. Yeah, for 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 the uh, for the Texans for the Texans, I know for the Texans was it for anybody else? I want to say that he had a year where he played in Philly, but I might be mistaken on that. Yeah, but so, definitely right. he left his mark in Houston for sure. Yeah, I remember I remember his playing days well. That's why I was surprised. Like, oh, he's coaching now. Like you know, so it, it was cool to see him. And, you know, obviously the special teams also led by a black man. <laughs> um, you know, so shout out. Black coordinators are the real winners this, this past weekend, if you think about it. I mean, you, you, you got the Mecca Ryans and, um, shoot, what is the, what is the, the 49ers? Eric, Eric, 
Eric Bieniemy. Well, yeah, Eric Bieniemy at Casey. You know, Leslie Frazier was leading the number one defense in the NFL for the Bills. Um, you know, there's a couple black coaches for Green Bay. I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but it it, it was it was a lot of just Byron Leftwich for the and Ty Bulls for the for the Bucks. You know, Raheem Morris for the Rams. Like it was it was a lot of prominent black coaches coaching this week. You know, all of which should be up for jobs, but we were going to see what happens. I mean, Leftwich looks like he's a finalist for Jacksonville. I saw that. Earlier, yeah, the only person so. that you acknowledge on this list who I can't give any credit to is Green Bay special teams coordinator. <laughs> yeah, no, he's only yeah, no, no, his 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 unit didn't help him out, but yeah, it it just besides him though, but man, it was a lot of just black coordinators, which I mean is come to be the thing now, but yeah, um, but yeah, just Aaron Rodgers at this point, I mean. How long is he going to keep going off of that one Super Bowl win, you know? Like, 10 consecutive years since then. And you, and you know what? As great and talented as Aaron Rodgers is, I think it's safe to say that he's probably the biggest underachiever at quarterback in NFL history. Because it's not like he ever had a bad team. Because, you know, sometimes... For a few years, some teams just don't have it. You know, there were a few years where the where Tom Brady, had, before he had his resurgence, um, the Patriots just didn't have it to, to make a Super Bowl. There were a few years where uh, the Colts just did not have the defense to get by the Patriots to get to the Super Bowl. There were years where the Steelers and Big Ben just did not have a good enough team. The Packers always had a contending team. Yes, we we all thought they should give him more weapons, but he had a decent amount. And he it's not like he had trouble winning. It's not like he didn't go to what four NFC championships and he's one in five. How do you cut someone any kind of slack? Like, bro, you're getting there. It's not like you're the Cowboys where. You just lose and you don't even come close for 40 years. No, you're right there. You just consistently trip at the finish line. Not only that, Jamal, this was really supposed to be their year. Like, I know last I know last year was a year that people said that, but this year in particular was supposed to be their year. They finally had the defense right. Even when you had guys like Zadarius Smith and Jair Alexander going down with injury, you had other guys who were coming in and stepping up. Shout out to Eric Stokes. Uh, Eric Russell Stokes Douglas. from my hometown. He's from my hometown. Shout out to him in the year he had this year. But you had guys coming in and stepping up and doing their job. It was really a next man up mentality, and everybody was stepping up. Green Bay was one of those teams coming into these playoffs that we said, where's the hole? They don't really have a hole, or at least we couldn't see the hole. But one of the things that they always had trouble with all season was special teams, in particular with the kicking. You didn't yeah. really see it with the punting. You didn't really see it with them lining up, the long snapper, all of that stuff. It all came to a head on Saturday night, as we know. But kicking was the only concern they had. And when you have somebody who is the caliber of an Aaron Rodgers and everything that he has been said to be, that he is hyped up to be, you are supposed to be able to overcome certain things. It shouldn't even have had to have came down to that special team's wallow to happen 
for, for that to even have the game in the balance for Green Bay's offense. But this is what happens when you start playing conservative and you lose trust in guys and you decide Devontae and Aaron Jones are the only other people I'm going to throw the ball to. He didn't throw the ball to Randall Cobb. Mercedes Lewis had a fumble. He didn't, he didn't go back to him in that game. Um, there was another player. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Alan he had a key mistake, a drop. He didn't go back to him. And it's like, dude, these are the playoffs. You you got to have a short memory at this point. You got to have a short memory. You got to let that stuff go. And you got to trust the game plan that you guys had throughout the week. But with that being said, what was the game plan throughout the week? Because I didn't recognize anything they were really doing. Besides throwing it to Devontae. Hell, Devontae down there somewhere. <laughs> That's the game plan every week. Essentially. And you and you were saying it, it shouldn't have came down to a special teams mistake. And you're absolutely right. But it's, it's January. It's going to. Like, if you're going to play cold, snowy weather in Lambeau, you're going to have to rely on special teams a little bit. You ain't going to just be lighting the scoreboard up. Yeah. And I said it on your show. I said it on my show. I'll say it on anybody else's show. Call Stephen A. Let him put me on first take. I got something to say to him either. Anyway, I have don't I don't have sympathy for kickers. I don't. You have one job. One job. One job. And I get, and I get it. You know, it, it, in the snow, the ball is cold. I believe I don't want to catch cold balls. It, it, it hurts. It's painful. But you only got to do it once. That's it. Maybe and look, It was windy, but it wasn't mega windy. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary. And look, you've been, you've been kicking in Green Bay all year. It gets cold in October. So I don't want to hear that excuse. And plus, that kicker, that. Crosby, has been that. there for like 10, 15 years. Kids. Yeah. He did. Yep. And, sure they're from, did. and they're from a warm weather state. Even though he kicked in Chicago up until this year, so he's used to going up to Lambeau and kicking a lot because they don't score touchdowns there. So, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I guess, but, to, you know, we've beat the, the horse enough there. Obviously, we know that, you know, Aaron Rodgers and his immunization were not good enough to win. So, that. Now, who was good enough to win was my man, Joey B. Joe Burrow, the Cincinnati Bengals. That was a little bit of an ugly, well, no, another one of those ugly games. It um, was very, it was it was weird. It was, it was a very good game unless you played offensive line for the Cincinnati Bengals because there is no way that you give up nine sacks against Kansas City and think you're going to go to a Super Bowl. I'm going to just tell you that now because... Tennessee, yeah, okay, Ryan Tannehill's a fraud. We've known he's a fraud. I said he was a fraud. I've said he was a fraud for years. And he finally showed his fraudulent ways. And I'm finally glad we get to have this conversation. <laughs> Let's about talk him. about it. Yeah. Now, Pat Mahomes ain't no fraud, though. <laughs> so, if you get sacked nine times against Kansas City, you could be in trouble. There, there, I, I have no explanation for that. You get sacked... Nine times at that point, I have to ask my old mind, Do y'all do y'all hate me? What did I do to y'all? Do y'all want to play for real? Do y'all want to be here? <laughs> do, do one of y'all want to play quarterback? Because I, I, I'll try to play left tackle for a few plays if you really want to throw because that's what it looked like. I can't be no worse than you, like, <laughs> I really can't. <laughs> and, and, like, and look at the tight who is the Titans' best defensive end? Um. It's between Landry and Ben Simmons inside as an All Pro. So I mean, they got a good. They got some guys up front though. It ain't like they're scrubs. I mean, they don't have. They don't have a superstar edge rusher. And yes, they have a. They have an All Pro interior lineman. 
But hey, those are the easiest to avoid. He's running right at you. There's no blind side, nothing. He's in front of you. Right. Run. But this is the thing we've been saying about Cincinnati's line. That was everybody thought they were going to go O line until Jamar Chase was just such a generational talent that it was impossible to justify passing him up. But everybody was begging them to address the O-line in the offseason. That's what got Burrow hurt last year because his O-line was terrible and he tore up his knee. So, like, people have been begging since he... Now, this year, now you got your generational talent. This upcoming draft, you got to address that offensive line or Burrow is not going to last. We saw Andrew Luck was forced to retire early. We saw RG3 was forced to retire early. I mean, that was kind of more so on him. But still, he got hit a lot. Like, you're going to waste a generational or what we believe to be a generational talent at the quarterback level if y'all don't address that offensive line. And you might lose them sooner than you think if you don't address it quickly. <laughs> because, yeah. You can only take so many hits inside that pocket. A, that's what people don't understand. It's a different when, a difference when you're running full speed at somebody and they're running full speed at you and they hit you. There's, there's some recoil that's going to hit that other person too. Mm-hmm. But when you're standing still and they're running at you full speed and you don't and see they it coming, have sixty pounds on you. And it's one thing when you can brace for the hit, the blast that hits hurt because you don't, you really don't feel it. You, you chilling like, yeah, whatever, okay, yeah, f it, and then boom, and then your neck whiplash and arms and legs and thighs and everything all up over the place. So. And I feel very strongly in saying that I don't believe Melvin Ingram and Chris Jones will have a problem getting to Joe Burrow. Or Frank Clark. They did getting to Josh Allen yesterday. Or Frank Clark. Please don't don't say that name. It it makes me sad every time I think about it. Oh, Melvin Ingram, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm happy Mel is doing good. Mm -hmm. I'm happy. That's what I felt felt about Trent Williams, you know, for the Niners, you know. I mean, I, I'm happy. I'm happy. Mel probably gonna win the Super Bowl, but he had to go. This is what I've been thinking about Trent. You know, Trent is finally he's been a Hall of Fame player his entire career, and he's in San Francisco flourishing. It's just the best left tackle in the game. It's just where'd you go? Yeah, in your you case, so. your organization they fumbled the bag on way too many things in the past decade. Yeah, we yep. saw that graphic that came out last week that showed who all was in that 2013. The other thing, I'm tired of that graphic. Let's address that graphic real quick because I'm tired <laughs> of seeing it. Because first of all, yes, I said it too. Jay Gruden was the worst choice. I didn't like him the whole time he was there. But Sean McVay was 26 years old when he got hired. He wasn't getting that job. First of all, Matt Lafleur might be the worst of the three. And he's still going to NFC Championships at Green Bay. But I think that was just because he's got Aaron Rodgers there. I don't think Matt LaFleur was getting that. And Kyle Shanahan absolutely wasn't getting that job because his father worked there. So they weren't going to put him out and then try to hire his son because his son was too loyal to his dad. So, yes, one of them three should have been the heir apparent when Shanahan was fired. But Sean McVay definitely wasn't going to be that guy at 26. He should have been the most obvious one, though. Shit. You know but, what, yeah. Dev? I'm with you. That, that 2013 <laughs> draft, it wasn't very friendly to me either. Yeah. We, we, got one, we got one good thing out of that 2013 draft, and his name is Keenan Allen. But um, you know who we drafted in the second round? Mentai Teo. Oh, man. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drafted him and his girlfriend. Yep, yep. And and much like his girlfriend, he was nowhere to be found in San Diego. So it's <laughs> like, no way. you know, you know, even though he went to New Orleans and did pretty good, but that's that's no another story. Anyway, back to people that do exist. Um, Ryan Tannehill is trash. See. The very first play of the game, I knew this game was a wrap. I just was like, bro, this is the kind of game we're going to have. The, the first play of the game, you throw an interception. The first play. And then, to make things worse, I think that the coaching staff in Tennessee was trying their hardest to try to get Derrick Henry going, but they probably should have stuck with the hot hand in Deontay Foreman. Those are, some, those are some of the difficult decisions that you just have to make in the playoffs. When this dude is coming off an injury, he's clearly not doing that well, and the team can't stop the other dude, it's okay to run with the other dude. I'm pretty sure he'll understand if y'all win the game. You know? And not only that, Cincinnati was missing one of their best defensive linemen coming into the game. Yep. Oak and Joey. You know? They just... They, I, I get what they wanted to do, but honestly, I don't think Derrick Henry was ready. I he wasn't. He needed an, I think he needed another week. Minimum another week. Like you're not just gonna you're not just gonna put this dude big. back in the game after being gone for a full like half of the season. Knowing you gonna get twenty five carries. Right. It's just not it's just not doable. And then I we, you know, Tannehill again. In the two minute offense, I think granted, look that interception wasn't entirely his fault because you, you got to catch that ball if you're uh, whoever that receiver was. But to fit that pass in between three defenders, what are you thinking about? In the middle of the field, in the two-minute offense with 20-something seconds left, you're supposed to be protecting the ball, protecting the points, throwing to the sidelines. I don't know how many timeouts they had at the time. Like, it just didn't – It what, what is not clicking? They are <laughs> we thought they were. And, we and, even, and even in that case, you're tied. You're tied. You're tied. You can at least go play for overtime. Anything can happen in overtime. Right. That just doesn't make Like, man, you know? It's just, you know. But I think we've seen the beginning of the end for Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee. I think even Tennessee realizes at this point that... Well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, maybe they back him for a little while. I don't know what his contract situation looks like, so I don't know. But no, they won't be backing him, Dale. All you gotta do is look at the look that was on Derrick Henry's face when that game was <laughs> Yeah, this is a, what the second or third year they've wasted a number one or number two seed. Like they, Mike Vrabel has done a damn good job down there. Then they get to postseason and just fall apart. And it, it's the fact, and it's always on Tannehill's back because he threw an interception last year. Their style of play is going to drive Derrick Henry into the ground. He doesn't have that much longer to play in this league because of the style he plays and who he's playing for. So right. every year that they don't get it done is another year absolutely wasted on his career. Who, for, for all we know, he has no more than four years left. Absolutely no more than four. Right. And four is kind of pushing. Yeah, considering he was like this at Alabama too. They was running him in the ground there. Right. Nick, <laughs> Nick Saban did not believe in, in backup running backs that now. No, he was a starter. Uh, the year he won the Heisman, when Jake Coker was his quarterback, of course I'd be running him 300 times. 
He ran like that in high school. This man had 600 carries in his high school career. Something crazy like that. The funny thing is, I actually, <laughs> my first uh, college, I played with his quarterback. Yeah. Oh, wow. I thought he'd be selling I, insurance. I played with his quarterback. <laughs> and his quarterback was actually pretty good. His name was Austin, Austin Wagner. Mm. And I'm just like, yeah, you ain't throwing the ball much, did you? It's right. like, did you see who's behind me? Why would I? Right. The hell? <laughs> but speaking of throwing, though, um, the Rams almost tried to throw the game against Tampa Bay. I've never in my life seen a team more determined to lose, and the other team just wouldn't let them do it. <laughs> it was like, bro. I declare shenanigans. Shenanigans have been declared. Somebody point shaped. Somebody got somebody's son being held for ransom in in a in a dark room in the in the back of Southeast Florida somewhere. Like this was ridiculous. There there is no way that this was a natural occurrence. I refuse to believe a team would just give the give the game away like that. Because even 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 the twenty eight three game in the Super Bowl, it wasn't like the Falcons were just being unserious about it. Like they just fell apart. This game, it's like, bro, you got balls flying over the quarterback's head. You got people fumbling with two minutes left and no timeouts. You got you got passes be- fumbling, people getting hit. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on in this game? Look, man, game you, see, you see me tweet it after every game because every week it proves, it just proves something to me. Football's not that complex of a game. It really isn't. Stop. Stop making it harder than it needs to be. But I don't know what it is with these teams. I don't know what it is with these coaches. But they refuse to make their lives easier. You know, if if the late great John Madden, God rest his soul, if he taught us anything, it's not that difficult. Just make it as simple as possible for people to understand. He ran over here, boom, hit this dude. He ran over here and bam. You know, stop. Stop it. <laughs> like... Hold the ball. It's, it's that simple. Snap it to the quarterback. <laughs> you just got the ball back in the turnover. Why are you snapping the ball over his head? He is not six feet ten. Why are you snapping the ball that high? It Maybe don't make you know sense. Damn it! I'll t- I'll take a delay game. I will take a delay. We're uh, it's a three possession game. A what three are we rushing for? Yeah, fumbling the ball at the one yard line. Like it just 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 stupid. Like just. Circus stuff like it's just simple fundamental football. Why are you fumbling the ball at the one? Look, I know, I know Jesus loves us all. I, I, I know he does, but ain't no way he loved Tom Brady that much more than all of us to, for that to happen. <laughs> ain't no way. And you know, but even this game was kind of interesting to me because you know X being a resident of Tampa, Florida. And uh, you know, a, a follower of, of Bucks football pretty closely over the last few years. Tom Brady is a man who, whether it's been in Tampa or in his twenty years in New England, some of the calls in that game that were going against him usually go in his favor. Like that that fourth down where Mike Evans and the ball was incomplete, and then he got lit up by Eric Weddle, and it was clearly a late helmet to helmet hit. Like if he if New England time, that would have been an automatic first down, even if the rules said that it should have been a turnover. You know, it was it was kind of wild. Tom Brady getting his first ever unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. 
Like, just some of the things that were going on in this game. And I'm like, bro, usually this is the kind of shenanigans that happen in his favor. Like, you see these type of games and it's like, bro, only the Patriots or only Tampa Bay. And to see it happen on the other shoe is just the funniest thing to me. So, that I found that kind of hilarious. But I say all that to say they had more than enough chances. And they actually ended up tying it. But for the life of me, as good of a coach as Ty Bowles is, please under, please speak it to me as simple and as childish as you can. Why in the world you call a cover zero blitz with no timeouts, with the game tied, playing for overtime? Why? Cooper Cup is out on Cooper the Cup, a white man, is wide open in the middle of the field. I, 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 like, I need Todd Bowles to explain that one to me because he's a damn good coach. He should be a head coach next year somewhere. Let me take it from here. I don't get that. I don't know why he called a cover zero blitz. And, Dev, as you know, Tampa was my pick to come out of the NFC to represent for the Super Bowl. Right. But you also know that I said this last Sunday, too, after the game against the Eagles. Mm-hmm. I had two concerns. Is Tristan Wirfs going to be able to go? Which and if he he's able to go, how healthy is he going to be? And number two, I didn't like how Tampa's defense closed out against Philly. Yeah. They, they were playing a shutout game for three quarters in that wild card game against the Eagles. And then somehow some screws got loosened up in that defense, and Philly took advantage of it. And I'm pretty sure the Rams studied that weakness all week long when they were going through gameplay. Mm-hmm. Because the number one thing they attacked yesterday was pass coverage. And that's exactly what the Eagles were able to loosen up, pass coverage. And now it's time to have a, a conversation about these secondary players in tackle. They're good players, but they're not as good as we probably thought they were a year ago when the Bucks' defense was just hellacious on the road to the Super Bowl. I think that now, front seven masked a lot of inefficiencies. Now... Part of this also is because most of them have been out all season with injuries or for a good chunk of the season. So there hasn't really been any continuity to build on for this season. But they got some shopping to do at the cornerback position. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to let y'all go ahead and go before I tell you who it is that I believe they need to go get at that position this offseason. Who you think? Okay. I, just go ahead and say it. Who you think? Chris Harris Jr. You can have it. <laughs> Please. I'll give you for free. I will pay you to take it. Yeah, no, he, he's the, not a Chris Harris fan. For the love of God, I saw Chris Harris get beat on a weekly basis like he stole something from his mama's purse. Well, he's not that type of corner. He's never been the speed corner anyway. Like, he's the physical corner. Like, he, he's, the speed, he, he's the physical corner just in pass coverage, in particular with slant routes. I've never known him to be a good corner in post coverage. Never known him to be that. He wasn't he even too that short. in Denver. He was playing the slot. He was in the Well, yeah, because he's 5'11". He's he was the number three corner and played like the number seven. You can have Chris Harris. You want Mike Davis? You can have him, too. He got a big contract, but you can have him, too. I mean, they no, got we'll it. pass on him, but I'll take Chris Harris and his veteran experience and his big games. Yeah. Now, I, 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 want, I want your Twitter. The first game next year, I'm going to say, you still want Chris Harris? 
<laughs> he might. He I'm might. Tell you before this call over with. Too. He might. He might. But if we're gonna talk about corners that got beat like they stole something, we're gonna switch over to Kansas City and Buffalo. And whoever was responsible for covering Gabriel Davis needs to explain themselves. I need you to come to the front of the room and explain to the class what you were doing. Because oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Time out. Honey Badger got hurt. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got hurt. No, I'm not. That, that wouldn't have went like that. No, not the, not the, not the, the performance in totality. No, but that one touchdown he scored, where dude was just completely like, I don't know where he thought he was yeah, going. He was, def- he, he was definitely wide open. <laughs> like, and that one ball, that one ball that that uh, Josh Allen threw. Like you can't cover that. He out threw everybody. How do you have an arm? What do you? What kind of exercise do you do to get your arm that strong? That's called I'm six five two forty. With a cannon, you cannot coach that. How do you? How does anybody get an arm like that? Like, what do you do? That's a lot of jacking off. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. Like I don't know. Like I, I just I can't explain it any other way. Like what do you do to get your arm that big and strong? I just would like to say. Chargers, did you watch the Bills? Did you see what they did with their 6'5 athletic 240 pound quarterback? We ain't even got to run him that much. But two, three times a game will do wonders. And what did Josh Allen's athleticism do? It made them be honest. They couldn't even sell out on third down for pass because they know Josh Allen is just as big as any linebacker they have any D lineman, and he could outrun them all. So they couldn't just rush for drop seven. You he had to damn near knock some, he, he damn near knocked somebody out of the game after he ran him over. The yeah. I always said, I always said he's a white Cam Newton. You know, Essentially. With a better arm. No disrespect to Cam, but he, he, he's got a better arm. But, or like a stronger arm, let's put it that way. But, uh, like, I did want to. Uh, now that I bring that up, I, I gotta ask y'all because this this is this has been sitting on my spirit since he got drafted. Why is it that when Josh Allen takes off and runs, everybody in the league is talking about how he's revolutionizing the quarterback position? And oh my goodness, there are very few quarterbacks that have this combination of passing and running ability. And in the same breath, will turn around and slander the hell out of my boy number eight up in Baltimore. Well. In their defense, at least a third of Baltimore's offense is Lamar running. That is true. That's Greg Roman's fault. No, the (laughs) offense is predicated around Lamar and the running game. Yeah. So, so yeah. And you know what? I think they run Lamar a little too much. Too much, yeah. Like, we, we all know. Five five to seven times a game, Lamar's just going to scramble and take off and do what he does best. So that means your designed runs don't need, don't need to be more than five or six. And my thing is, Greg Roman's offense has not changed a bit since he's been running it with Colin Kaepernick in 2012 in San Francisco. This offense has been the exact same the entire career that he's been a coordinator. Like... It hasn't changed. It didn't change in Buffalo. It didn't change in in in, in San Francisco. It has and not changed. Saw, and as we saw with San Francisco, eventually the league caught up. To they caught up to it. Yeah. Because it wasn't creative enough. Like, why are you running twelve personnel with with pistol with the 
do and you running that like why are you running two tight end sets and keeping everybody so tight like spread the spread everybody out that's that's clogging your running lanes up you know there was no way Baltimore watched any of these games this weekend but especially not Buffalo and Kansas City who are the two teams you're supposed to be kind of really looking up to there's no way you watch that game and really sit here and think hey bro Greg Roman man like that's got to be concerning for fans. I don't know what the hell Josh Har- John Harbaugh's thinking, but for fans, I've seen because I follow a lot of Baltimore fans. That was a concerning game to watch if you're a Baltimore fan, because because that offense that they run is just not it. It's not, <laughs> you know. But it's not, and they yeah. also need to do what was never done in San Francisco too. They need to go invest in a real number one receiver. Michael Crabtree had some good years with the Niners, but he was not a number one. He By wasn't. the time they acquired Antoine Bowden, he was a little over the hill. Mm-hmm. I like Hollywood Brown, but he's more of a speed demon than he is a number one receiver. Right. Tyreek Hill is more of a number one receiver, and he's still a speed demon, too. Hollywood Brown is not that guy. But that, he's not that guy, pal. That's the thing about speed demon receivers. Tyreek Hill is an anomaly. Like Guys like him do not exist. Because if, if you just look at receivers built and designed for speed and that's why they're on the field most of them simply just can't catch yeah they he, why was that why was devin hester not successful as a receiver devin hester in a straight line is every bit as fast as tyreek hill he can't catch tyreek hill and deshaun jackson kind of sort of are in a league of their own like deshaun jackson was tyreek hill before tyreek hill he just wasn't nearly as lethal Tyreek Hill, which which is why I gotta ask Tyreek Hill, why don't we talk about him among the top receivers in the game? Like, what else does he have to do? He's not just like he's not a one trick pony anymore. This dude runs every route in the route tree. He is impossible to cover no matter how much you try to double him. Well, I thought this conversation was over last year. I thought we established last season that he was among the top receivers in the game. I mean, we did at the time, but most of us were prisoners of the moment, and then we kind of fell back down to earth this year. And I don't see him. In the same breath as we talk about Devontae Adams or DeAndre Hopkins or Stephon Diggs. He is not. Who was <laughs> invisible yesterday, by the way. Or on uh, Monday. The, but let, 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 me, let me explain it from a real receiver standpoint. Mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill is an amazing athlete. As a as receiver skills outside of his hands, doesn't really have a lot. And this is what I mean by that. You ever see him break down and run routes? Do you ever see him run routes to go from stopping at zero and going back to 90? Yeah. All his routes are one stick off one foot. He doesn't run Devontae Adams routes. Oh, no. He doesn't run, no. he doesn't run Stephon Diggs routes. Nope. His out- no, the best, no, no, no. We know. No, 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 no. The best route runner in Kansas City as a receiver is not even a wide receiver. It's, the tight no, end. it's Travis Kelsey. Yeah, it's Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And it's and that's not to take away from Tyreek Hill's greatness, but we when we talk about being a real a great receiver, he's a great player. Don't there's no mistake about that. His acceleration and speed is amazing. But when you ask it, but would I ever say, "Hey Tyreek, I need you to break this man down and just get this first down by running this comeback route"? I wouldn't do it because that's not his forte. That's not what he's great at. He's a I'm beating you with pure speed, and that's all I need. Right. And for the most part, he's right. Like, dudes can't touch him. If Tampa Bay, the only ones that did it. Ty Bulls, I don't know what he did in that Super Bowl last year, but he's the only one I've ever seen neutralize Tyreek Hill. That is it. He got physical. 
He got physical. And Akeem Tlaib was explaining this last night on Colin Cowherd's The Volume Podcast. He was saying you have to get physical with him right there at the line. Right. You cannot allow him to get a step on you. If he gets a step on you, it's over with. You lose. Because you're nobody's done. as fast as him. Mm-hmm. you got to get physical with him right there on the line. Which is difficult because he will put you in a blender. But if you can do it, it works. It does work. If you if you press any NFL receiver, there's a chance you could get beat because that's why they're in the NFL. But at the same time, Tyreek Hill was 5'10", 185 pounds. He's not a big dude. He's not. If you can get your hands on him, you win. You, you, but that's the, you, you that's the hard up. part. <laughs> yeah, that is the hard part. And speaking of the hard part, we've reached the hardest part of the season for the final four remaining teams. One more game until the Super Bowl. Gentlemen, I will ask each of you, starting with you, X, who are your two picks to win this next weekend? I'm going to go with the matchup we should have got three to four years ago. I'm going to go with the Rams in Kansas City. Yeah, pretty much. That's me, too. I'm going with the Rams in Kansas City. Although, I will say, and I told y'all this in the group chat, watch out for San Francisco. <laughs> it's like... I'm watching out for San Francisco, and I'm watching out for Cincinnati. And, yeah. Listen, these games can go either way. And yeah, that's the way the season's been. can stay off the ground this weekend, it wouldn't surprise me if Cincinnati pulled this off. And plus, LSU and Joe Burrow, his time there, he taught me, don't doubt this guy in big games. Nope. So, and know, that's what I'm what saying. Happened, but it's like you said earlier, that's not Ryan Tannehill over there on the other side next week. That's Patrick Mahomes. Right. Now that's it's my a thing. Totally different ball game now. That's my thing. Cincinnati don't got no problem scoring points. It's just keeping Joe Burrow healthy. That's that's my thing. Like they they protect the football. Jamar Chase clearly is that dude. He wanted it once. It's clear. Um, now it does depend that that Chiefs secondary, regardless of what the front seven does, that Chiefs secondary has not been it all year. And now Tyron Matthew is dealing with concussion problems. So that is going to be something to watch for this week. But I just can't go against Pat Mahomes right now. Now, of course, I you did say. You where I really think this game is going to come down to offensively? Yeah. The NFC Championship. Who can run the ball? Who's going to be able to run the ball better? Yep. Who's going to be able to run the ball a little better? Because pass catching, receiving wise, I think they can actually level the playing field with each other, especially if Tyron Matthews out. And Tyron Matthews is out. Whether it's T. Higgins, whether it's Jamar Chase, whether it's Tyler Boyd. Whoever is in that position that Gabriel Davis was playing in yesterday, they're going to have a field day. All three of those dudes are capable of going for having a 1,000 yards in a season, if not more, that I just named. So somebody's going to have a field day. Yeah. But if Cincinnati can get Joe Mixon going a little better and Kansas City can get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire going and, and also their new secret weapon, Jared McKinnon, they got a chance. Yeah, they do have a chance. That's the that's my thing. Cincy, I just, I, I feel like too many people are counting them out. And I just think, like, experience is great. Like, oh, yeah, you know, experience is the best teacher. I get all of that. But every now and then, you're going to run into a team that's just, if a team believes they can win, they can be a problem. <laughs> and Cincy, Cincy just believes they can win. And this NFL season has been crazy enough as it is. I would not be shocked at all. If Kansas City and L.A. don't get to, like, if neither one of them wins, I would not be shocked at all the way this season is gone. It would be very disappointing, <laughs> but, but, like, you know, like, I would be shocked. I would not be shocked, if, especially would give, on Kansas City side. I would give you side. 13 reasons 
why I'm not betting against Pat Mahomes. Yeah, I'm saying one second. If, yeah, two seconds, three seconds, thirteen yeah. seconds, and two timeouts. Why? Which I'm again, if you've seen my Twitter feed, I blame the Bills D coordinator a hundred percent for that loss. There was no, there was no leaving the field wide that. open makes no sense. Like play no. if it, if they didn't have no timeouts, yeah, leave the field open. They had both their timeouts. Middle of the field should not have been that wide open. You you got they had thirteen seconds and two timeouts. For one, I would have kicked them. I would have made them return the ball and kill four seconds. I, I would have glad. I am willing to risk a return kick for a touchdown because it's just very unlikely. Devin Hester, Devin Hester got is the greatest kick returner of all time. How many kick down? How many kickoffs for touchdown he got? Kickoff returns, he I don't know, but he's got a lot of punt returns though. He set yeah, the record. Both, but both of those numbers combined are less than twenty five. Yeah, yeah, because he's got nineteen punt returns. So yeah, because it's it's just less it's just less likely. It's probably like twenty two. I'm, I'm gonna say twenty two or twenty three. Somewhere around there. Yeah. You know what? I'll live with it. And if he bre- if he breaks, that that's something I'm willing to live with. What I'm not willing to live with is playing a damn prevent and giving them 20 free yards. Tyreek Hill, 20 free yards at that, and that only took three seconds. And then, this is not this is not 2004. Kickers are so comfortable kicking 50 to 54 yard field goals. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, I got and, and Deb, let me yeah. say this too, since you brought up his name, Leslie Fraser. Yep. You know, I banged the table for our brothers to get in these head coaching jobs. Yep. But you know his name has not been one that's came out of my mouth because I saw Leslie Frazier as a head coach in Minnesota. Yep. And he couldn't even get his own unit right there. Yep. Well, okay, so in his defense, he was an interim coach in Minnesota. He was hired after Brad Childress was fired. So... And Brad Childress never should have been a head coach. Yeah, so, so Childress had a lot of, like, you know, he had Brett Favre and Adrian Peterson, and you had all these people, especially that one year when they were a Brett Favre interception away from being in the Super Bowl. That next year, you know, Favre basically was done. Like, his arm was cooked. Like, you know, it just wasn't the same team. A lot of people were older. It was a lot. Like, Frazier was... Was it was an uphill battle for him, so I, I feel like a lot of these coaches, like him, Raheem Morris, in, in, in particular, was really young when he got hired. Some of them were like ten years ago coaches, and I feel like they're you would like to believe they're different ten years later. You know, some some NFL guys don't change though, but you would like to believe some people have adapted. But that being said, while we're talking about Leslie Frazier's unit. It's way too many people letting them off the hook for that loss last night. The OT rules don't need to be changed. You got the number one defense in the NFL. You should get. You should be able to get at least one stop, right? You would think, right? <laughs> like, like if you can't stop them, then you just don't need to win. Like, you know, you we, know. People we already changed the OT rules yeah. from when it was horrible. Yeah, that sudden death first. First Field goal. Score, teams yeah. weren't even trying to score touchdowns unless they just broke an eighty-yard run. Yeah, it was get close enough, kick a field goal, walk away safe. That was horrible. But now, play defense. Quoting another Charger, Keenan Allen, get a stop. Play yeah. defense. You know, and it's like it don't matter how many different ways you change overtime. Overtime is always going to be terrible. 
Like, there is no real right way to do it. Like, everybody points to the college game, and it's like, oh, keep playing. It's like, really? In college, they're unpaid. They shouldn't be playing that many overtimes anyway. <laughs> you know? And the NFL certainly ain't going to be up for that. <laughs> and they get paid. So, there's no real way to change overtime. You know? Like, there's nothing that we're going to do that is not going to work against. And then to make things worse, they tried in 2019 after the Chiefs were sitting watching the Patriots walk down the field. And they tried to change the rule then. And every NFL owner voted against it. So, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it. And all I got to say to that is D4. D4. Don't jump off sides. Exactly. Point back there. But yeah, the last thing I'm gonna wrap this NFL segment up, and I'm gonna have to ask y'all this because we, we talked about Super Bowl and everything. It is a tweet that I saw this week, and I forgot who it was at the moment, but I think it was Don Kleiman, or I, I think I want to say somebody said that they already are just gonna say it up front. This era of quarterbacks that we're in, it might just might be better. Than the 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 old guard that's getting ready to walk out, like the Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, that era was cool, it was fun, but this era that we're going in now with Mahomes and Allen and Herbert and Burrow and Lamar, and you could throw Watson in there whenever he comes back, you know that this era is just different. You know what the difference is? Just besides a few more allegations. What? Sorry, go ahead. Yes, but <laughs> like, as, athleticism. Yeah, Brady. Okay. Brady for the longest is a statue. Peyton can run a little bit. No, he couldn't. At Tennessee, <laughs> I was about to say that he couldn't run at Tennessee, but he was a statue. Breeze, Breeze is an underrated athlete, and he, he was under height too. He's probably a step faster than Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers is not a horrible athlete. But when you got guys. Mahomes is probably the least athletic guy that you named. And we and saw Mahomes him terrorizing that defense. Say, hey, screw it. I'll take 12 yards. <laughs> yeah. Like, is, is, is the, they are just so much more fun to watch. Like you said, yeah. That other era, it was cool for its era. Like, you know, I mean, Peyton was doing things people weren't doing at the time. Like, you know, people weren't throwing it all over the place. But, yeah, but Dev, to your point about yeah. that era that they played in. It was I way more archaic. how many people were watching in that era in particular for the quarterback play as much as they were for what the running backs were going to do and the, and the hits that were going to come on defense. Yeah. yeah, exactly. This era we're in now is like, bro, you can't wait to turn on the NFL game to watch Pat Mahomes. <laughs> you know? And a lot of it now, the rules are centered towards quarterbacks, which we get all of that. But still, like every week we won't see what is Pat Mahomes going to do this week? What crazy angle is he going to throw the football from this week? What is Lamar? Who is Lamar going to shake out their pants this week? Who is Josh Allen? How much more farther can he throw? <laughs> you know, like every week is something different. It's crazy. These games are just ridiculous. So it, it's just, you know, shout out to this new era of quarterbacks. And then the fact that the, the mobility era aspect of it, you know, a lot of these dudes wouldn't be playing for I got to say this too. The NFC got to step their game up. They do. Because if you look at the pattern here. NFC got all the quarterbacks. quarterbacks they're in the AFC. Yep. Aside from Kyler and Dak, aside from those two, and, and Ky- Dak is up in the air. And Kyler is great, but from just a pure stat, a, a pure talent standpoint, Dak don't belong in the category with them. No, he doesn't. I mean, he's he's got the numbers, but he ain't he ain't like 
hey, let me go watch Dak Prescott unless you're like, a, I mean, you know, no, you know, no, we, we no, love I black mean, quarterbacks I, around I here. I believe but, we yeah. have a ceiling on Dak, and we already know where this is going to go now at this point. Yeah, the the yeah, but y'all right. NFC got to get it together. I don't know how the AFC just keeps getting all these quarterbacks, but the NFC got to get it together. <laughs> you know, now Lamar's got a contract coming up, so it depends what happens with him. But I doubt Baltimore is going to let him walk out the building. Lamar <laughs> you know. is about to get the bag. Yeah, the, and the like I said, the only person who's going to get paid more than Lamar is probably Pat Mahomes. Oh, he did already. He got his money already. That that's what I mean. He got half a billion. <laughs> Lamar's contract won't be quite at Mahomes, but it, it probably won't fall with maybe three or four million short of it. Yeah, it'd be like four hundred million, three hundred million, something like that. You, you know, it won't be half. It won't be half a bill. It'll be like four, 47, 46 percent of a bill. Yeah, and he's negotiating his own contract, so we're gonna see. He doesn't have an agent, so we're we're gonna see. And Deshaun Watson, like we said, you know, obviously he's got a lot of off the courts, off the field stuff that he's got to work out. But the NFL has never cared about women, and we know this. So we know he's gonna be back soon. If they, if, if it's winning for who? It's winning for who? And they, they talking about the Giants and some other. If he comes over to the NFC side, that levels the playing field a little bit, depending on what he is on the field. But that's that's another story for another day. We gonna move on from that. We have reached my favorite part of the show. It's a segment I like to call. Big time plays of the day. All of the biggest highlights of the week. You know, this week, a lot of crazy stuff happened. Um, we lost. 2022 has been a very rough year in terms of high profile figures. We've, we've been losing a lot of people. Um, the NBA lost a trailblazer this week. Lucia Harris was the first woman to be drafted in the NBA back in the, I believe, the 1970s or 80s. She didn't actually end up ever playing a game because there was like she didn't wasn't able to accept the invitation. It was something that happened, but she was the first woman to be drafted. There's actually a documentary about her called "The Queen of Basketball" that was done I think like a year or two ago before she passed. But she passed this week, so just you know we want to say rest in peace to her. So you know, agree. Yeah, definitely rest in rest in peace to her. Thank you for the mark that you left and made her legacy live on. And we may not have kn- we may not have known much about her before, but now we'll make sure your story's told and you're not forgot. Exactly, exactly. And I gotta check that documentary out now that I know about it too. So hopefully I do that. I gotta find it, of course. Um, moving on though, we also gotta keep Regina King, um, keep her in high spirits because she lost her son this week to suicide. Um, which, you know, obviously mental health is a very serious issue and we never want to take anything like that lightly. So, you know, you just got to keep her prayers and then all of those people out here who, you know, are dealing with silent battles and dealing with stuff, obviously, like, you know, keep them people prayed up and we just got to get these people the resources and the help that they need for, for, for real. Check on your friends. Talk to them. Ask them who they about their day, bomb a cheeseburger. It goes a long way. It goes a long way. Most definitely. Most y'all, are, y'all are not alone. Whoever, anybody that might be listening to this, you're not alone. I want you to know that. Not, you're not alone. Definitely not alone. You know, so, you know, keep her in prayer, like I said. So, moving on, we have talked about Tom Brady a lot over the years, over the course of this year in the NFL. But, 
ESPN is taking it back to where it all began. Um, a lot of people argue that Tom Brady never would have became who he was if it weren't for the tuck rule. And now there's a new documentary out in February of 2020 that is going to explore that tuck rule. You know, so gentlemen, are we planning to watch this? Oh, absolutely. I want to see the last time. I would watch it, but this is the last time I want to hear anything about it. Because I already heard about it with the Man in the Arena series. Oh, I haven't even watched it. It's a phenomenal series, by the way. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, every year around the Super Bowl, they come out with a great 30 for 30. I don't know if this one's going to fall under that category. I don't know what exactly they're going to do to make this thing super interesting at this point. You're right. I don't. I don't think it'll be in the top in your top ten or so of thirty for thirties. It won't be a you. It, it won't be you know the, the Trojan horse one about USC, which I hate by the way. But <laughs> it. it I, I'm interested just because I want to see it, and you know, watching Charles Woodson is just hilarious and an interesting person to see on camera. So I'll watch it strictly to hear his commentary, and you know. As a Chargers fan, I just want to see the last time the Raiders were relevant in 02. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that was a giant group team. To move on to the next thing on the list, we've complained for years about the NFL's ownership circle. It's a very exclusive circle in more ways than one. Most of the things is that part of the reason that an NFL that, that a sports league that is comprised almost 80% of black players doesn't have as many black coaches is because 100% of the owners, minus Shad Khan, are white. So, I don't think a black owner would necessarily change anything, but there is somebody on the horizon that may shake some things up. Um, Robert Smith, for those who are not familiar, he is the man that paid off the entire class of 2019 of Morehouse College. He's the one that paid all their loans off. That was that black billionaire. He apparently has shown interest in wanting to purchase the Denver Broncos. Do we like this? Do we even really care? I don't, but do we? The thing is, is it a good move? Yes. Is it a monumental move? Yes. But let, let's just go. Let's just go back to second grade math. Is one out of thirty-one a big number? Nope. No. Two out of thirty-one in this case, because one Indian made. guy and then him. What? Because you know it would be two non-white owners now. A oh, grand sorry. total of two. Two. Over <laughs> yeah. Do any of those round up? Nope. It, it, like it's good, it's symbolic, but two two non-white owners for one that vote is not enough to do anything. Yeah. It, it's just like if you if you got a, a Democratic president, cool. If Congress is ninety percent Republican, it doesn't matter. They're not going to listen to him anyway. Right, and in, 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 in this country, it don't matter if it's ninety percent Democrat. But we ain't going we we gonna get to that in a second. Anyway. Uh, um, the other thing I'd like to say with that is also you have to get voted. So there is going to be a lot of old white men that probably may not be too 
open to the idea of letting one of them colored folk into our, uh, you know, exclusive circle. I mean, it's, it's got to be a vote. They're going to find ways to mask it, but they're going to say things like, oh, he may cut into my viewership in New York, depending on where he's from. And then, you know, and then being a black owner ain't necessarily going to change anything either. He don't mean he's going to hire a black coach just because he's a black owner. Like, you know, all skin folk ain't kin folk necessarily. So exactly. we, we don't know who this guy is. And at the end of the day, black, black, white, blue, purple, whatever, the only color that matters in professional sports or any business is green. Right. Or in the NFL's case, silver, because that's what color the Super Bowl trophy is. Uh, it cost a lot of green to yes, make that does. silver. It does. Yeah, that, that is true. Shout out to the green. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Now, you know, and then plus the, the Broncos side. So, <laughs> you know, they're in the same they, division as Kansas they City. A, they got to find a quarterback first. Yes. Yes, they do. Yeah. I think owner's the least of their problems. Because owners really don't be tripping off day-to-day stuff unless they're Jerry Jones. So yeah, Exactly. And we know he... He's definitely an anomaly. Yeah, he's an anomaly. The rest of them could barely, they don't know what a football barely is. You know, they just make money for them. They couldn't name more than four players on the team anyway. Right, right, right. Now, we are going to move on to a segment I like to call You Played Yourself. And it is dedicated to all of the people that should have just sat down and shut the hell up. Because they just talk too much. And we, for some reason, decided that we're going to give them a platform that they really don't deserve. And nobody deserves a platform less this week than the Hall of Famer, John Stockton. Your favorite white NBA player. He was in my top 10 favorite white players of all time. Yeah, and he was a great player on the court. Now, his views off of it are a little bit, you know, it's one thing to not really truly be comfortable with vaccines, but to suggest that more than 150 athletes have died while playing with no evidence whatsoever. What are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, It takes a lot for a white person to be suspended from games in Utah. Well, it was in Washington State, but... Was it Washington? But the Jazz suspended his uh, no, no, tickets. It was Gonzaga that did that. Gonzaga. Yeah. Where is his alma mater? It's in Washington. Yeah. Still, it's a nice cohort of of anti-vaxxers up there. Yeah, I was about to say Washington got you know their Washington State just fired their coach over a vaccine thing. So yeah, it's a lot. But you know, it, it says a lot about the Utah Jazz. That as an organization, you know, really. Um, Your two best players in program history are a pedophile, as of now, (laughs) are a pedophile and an anti-vaxxer. Say a lot about it, you know. But damn, but that damn anti-vaxxer can pass that ball. Mm Mm-hmm. And he he need to pass the needles. That's that's what he need. He does need to pass them needles. Pass them needles, bro. Like it just. It it, 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 it it don't even it, it don't even make sense. It does It don't even hurt that bad. It doesn't. <laughs> you know? And I wonder, is he like is it all vaccines or just this one? I mean it, it just it just seems like to be one of the things, like Yeah, you, this is one of the things. No no no. You don't get to pick and choose. You got a flu shot last year. I know. I wonder I, if, saw it. I wonder if he's Mormon. I wonder if that would just be the trifecta. It doesn't say anything when I look it up. We love Google. You know? No, that's what I'm saying. I looked it up. I didn't, well, Wikipedia didn't say anything, but yeah. You know, 
that would be just but yeah a pedophile and an extreme anti-vaxxer not even like it, it, the the most anti anti-vaxxers like i'm talking like bruh let it go it is one they are not microchipping you you literally have an iphone well i don't know if you do but you seem like the type that would live in the woods with a steel with an aluminum foil tin on your around head. Your head. Yeah. Like, dog, you're not I promise you, you're not important enough for, for the government to microchip to microchip. Right, just because you you're can pass not. the ball don't mean you're gonna be passing government secrets. Like, yeah, no, they're not chipping you. First of all, you're you're not rich enough. They're, even though you guys are millionaires, you're you ain't nothing but a drop in the bucket. Right, right, right. And speaking of being nothing but drops in the bucket, sometimes MMJ uh, people, you know, multimedia journalism, reporters and stuff, at times it's been feeling like we can just be nothing but numbers and drops and buckets. Because in, in case you haven't seen the video that was circulating around the interweb all of last week, this woman who worked for a particular news station was hit by a car while doing her live shot. It was such a jarring video. It was just so wild to me and I'm like, bro, she not only got hit, but she got up and continued to do the live shot and everybody kind of just went business as usual. It was just a weird scene to see that. And a lot of people started speaking up about their experiences and being an MMJ and, and it just it's just, man, the news industry, there's a reason a lot of people have been leaving it. Allow me to state this. And I need everyone to understand the context that I'm saying this. Y'all are too damn proud. If I get nicked, if I even feel the breeze of a car hit me too fast, I am flopping like LeBron in the finals. Oh, I'm getting paid. Oh, and yeah. Not, I wouldn't get up. What? I wouldn't get up either. And, and I'm not here to discount her experience. Like, I'm, I, I believe me, I'm taking it serious. And I understand that getting hit by a car is a very serious thing, is a very dangerous thing. She could have lost her life. But she did. And she's perfectly fine. I would have milked this like a pregnant cow. There is no way I'm not getting paid off of this. I used to try to take charges from the buses on my university. I was begging for them to hit me and pay my tuition. Mm-hmm. Ain't nothing, ain't nothing more dangerous than a college student because we don't give a fuck. If she'd have been, I, not a single fuck. If she, if she'd have been in college, it'd have been a whole different, yeah, like bro. But but to, to take it more serious, for a lot of you who don't know, number one, just because a person is on TV does not mean they make a lot of money. Especially your local journalist. Like, if you think the person that you're watching on your local Channel Seven News is some type of millionaire, you got it twisted. You guys got things all kinds of wrong. And then a lot of them, especially the early morning crew or the midday crew, they're out there by themselves. They don't get a cameraman. They are the cameraman. Or woman in this case. Mm -hmm. People got to do all of that. They got to set the live shot up. They got to do all that. And then, you know, they get subjected. And she only got hit by a car. There's plenty of other people. I'm only, wow. There's plenty of other people who, you know, they deal with stuff like people get deal with like people that harass them in the streets. A lot of female journalists have talked about that in detail, like dealing with people that just come up and be saying all type of weird, nasty stuff to them. And 
people that attack them, especially in this climate of, you know, people who are just against the media with the last president and the way he was with the press and stuff. So like, it's just, it's just a lot. It's, it's, it's really, as crazy as it is to say, it can be a really dangerous job being a journalist in America. That people that the or an MSJ in particular understand because it's so small on their radar they don't care. Right, pretty much. Speaking of not caring, the last body of people in this particular case that deserve a big old fuck you is the legislation, and not just them, but the Mississippi legislation this past week um, has become the latest state to ban the teaching of critical race theory or what's branded as critical race theory because in reality it hasn't been taught at the high school levels but they're still banning it from being taught at the high school level and in Mississippi's case you can't teach it at the university level either unless you're a private school so my question to the state of Mississippi is are you telling me that a state with two historically black colleges in it can't teach their black students about race in their own schools? Or I, I guess in that case, they don't really care because they don't care what we do anyway. It's not like they give us money. But like Ole Miss, you know, all them places. In a state where Emmett Till was born, where um, Carolyn Bryant's nephew was once the governor of Mississippi, like not even a couple of years ago. <laughs> that state... Is banning the teaching of race in schools? You know? Every every day, I sit back and wonder, how are people this stupid? Like, it, it's not like you weren't taught this in school. You just didn't care to pay attention. Look, in case you haven't noticed, race has a lot to do with every kind of history that there is. I just have to ask them, do you remember how America got started? Like, who were the first white people here? Uh, The the, the, the pilgrims. Does anyone remember why the pilgrims came here? Jail debt. (laughs) They were religious persecution. They were white people running from other white people. So you can't tell me you can't teach race. And it's not like you're blatantly teaching white is white is bad and everything else is good. No, you're just putting some context of why and how things happened in the past. And look, we all agree. And look, the things that went on 200, 250 years ago are not acceptable. They're not okay. But that doesn't mean you get to erase them from history. They happened and it's our right to know it. And also, a lot of that stuff still directly impacts a lot of decision-making of today, a lot of the socioeconomic barriers that black people in particular face today. A lot of that stuff is directly a a thing. You got, like I said, Emmett Till's killer's, no, Emmett Till's accuser's nephew was literally the governor of Mississippi like in 2017 or 16. I believe the woman that accused Emmett Till is still alive. Is still alive. And yeah, and her nephew was governor of Mississippi like two years ago. I keep bringing that up. Like, she, like, bro, she's still alive. She admitted she lied about it too, by the way. Um, 
you know, stuff like that. These people are directly, their descendants are still around. The people that killed, or the people that were in high school for the Little Rock Nine in Arkansas, for example, you know, somebody's yeah, that's somebody's grandparents. The people who were who were teasing Ruby Bridges when she was walking to school in Louisiana, <laughs> you know, that's somebody's grandparents. It's a lot of politicians in office right now, like Mitch McConnell. I mean, uh, Mitch McConnell, who who were present for the signing of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. You know, Joe Biden was bragging about being friends with a segregationist. <laughs> you know, like this this stuff is directly. Like it happened, you can't erase it. It directly impacts people today, and that's what they try to ban people from knowing. You know who wasn't there to vote for the Civil Rights Act in 1975? Martin Luther King. Well, him too. Well, no, no, no. He he was killed after that. But Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Bitch ass. Oh, but by the way, he's Canadian. No, he's he's Cuban. He's he's Cuban. No, he was born in Canada. With a Cuban parent. <laughs> he's, he's Hispanic and Canadian. How did he get off this? How did you... First of all, as racist as Texas is, how did you vote him? How did that happen? Well, you know, he's a white Cuban, though. He, he ain't Afro-Cuban. Yeah, yeah, Cuban. You know, a lot of the a lot of the Cubans who, who fled Cuba usually were white-passing, rich, land-owning, like... Yeah. People and, who and white passing Cubans typically vote Republican. You're right. Yeah, they vote Republican. Like those were the ones who enjoyed, like the upper class citizens. So like when they were driven out, they came to the U.S. And you know the U.S. always is looking for a political victory. So most Cubans nowadays vote Republican because of the embargo and all that shit. You know they they hate Fidel and, and all that stuff. That's kind of what that is. So that 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 makes a little bit of sense, but yeah. That, but but the point is, like, bro, you can't you can't you can't hide the truth. And this whole thing of like letting parents decide if their kids with the, it, it, I just I'm like, bro, where are we at, black folks? Are are we swarming these same meetings like, yo, fighting back against these bitch ass snowflake white people? There is no way. That these random ass parents are qualified to do this shit. Right. Like, why are you gonna pull no. your son? What are you scared of? Why are you pulling your son out of, of a for, meeting? For what? My parents not qualified to do this. If my parents would have came to my curriculum meeting and be like, "Yeah, I don't want my son to do this," like, Dad, you can't even help me with my homework now. Sit down. Right. And why you don't want your kids to to to, to read um, the letter from a Birmingham jail? Y'all quoting Martin Luther King every Martin Luther King day, but you don't want your kids to learn about. It? How did that? How does that add up, bro? How does that add up? You, you don't you don't want to learn you don't want your kids to learn learn about um, who was the famous governor who was famous who was the governor of Mississippi during uh, Ruby Bridges. Uh, well, Ruby Bridges I think was in Louisiana, but you talking about uh, you talking about Bull Connor? Police chief. Hmm. Um, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, oh. segregation forever. I forgot his name. But yeah, he, we're gonna realize like he he's around the same age as these parents. Yep, some of them probably went to school with him. Probably dentist. Probably worked on his teeth. All that. <laughs> like it's, it's just it just it don't it, it don't even you know it don't make sense. It, it just it does not. 
Makes sense. And while I'm here, for all of the for those of my black folks who listen to my podcast on a weekly basis, first of all, thank you. Secondly, I gotta tell you, if you have grandparents or even older parents and aunts and uncles who are still with you in your life, please sit down and talk to them and record their story. Like somehow, whether you write down what they say, whether you record it on like a phone or camera or something. Record their stories. Tell, let them tell. Just sit down, talk to them about how they came up, because y'all need to preserve that stuff. Because they are gonna try their damnedest to make sure these kids never get to see it. So tell these stories of your grandparents and your great grandparents while you have them in your lives. Like that's what I try to do all the time. I got stuff I'm doing now. I just, it's just America's too ridiculous. Like tell you, get your grandparents, talk to your grandparents about. The way they came up. Like, take advantage of that time with them. You about to say something? I said, no, just talk to them about life. Yeah, pretty much. You know. But we're going to move on. Segment I like to call Well Played. We're going to shed a little more positivity because there's enough crazy stuff in the world. We're going to talk about some positive stories we saw this week. And I'm going to start. With it may be a familiar name to some people, Colin Kaepernick. For those who are have been living under a rock for the last five years, he was the NFL quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, who was subsequently exiled from the league for taking a knee during the playing of the national anthem for his protesting of police brutality. Now, we generally, most people you would think would know. Colin Kaepernick's story pretty well. A man whose story you may not know as well is the original Colin Kaepernick, the guy who did it long before Colin was a thought. And his name, or his his current name, is Mahmoud Abdul Raouf, formerly Chris Jackson. You know, he was an NBA player. He he who um, used to he was he was Muslim, and he used to pray during the anthem as a form of protest. And when they asked him about why he doesn't stand in um stand at attention with his hand on his heart like most people and he said basically that the american flag was against his religion or it was basically as a racist symbol pretty much what colin kaepernick said you know so he was he was doing it he did it like 20 years before kaepernick did the nba much like the nfl you know a lot of people know the nba is this so progressive league now at that time, the NBA band booted him from the league too. Black blackballed him from the league, and you know he wasn't really able to come back after that. And that was, and there was also, I think, a protest of the Iraq War at the same time. It was, it was a lot of things he was protesting at the time. So, Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf. The point is, he's getting an autobiography that he is publishing under Colin Kaepernick's com- uh, new publishing company, and I plan on buying it when it comes out. I'm going to just say that now. I love a good autobiography. And I love learning about people's journey throughout life and how they see how they see the world and how it changes them. And, you know, I just like to see the difference in people who just who don't think exactly like I do. It, it just makes sense to me. When one of the famous lines I remember from my favorite black movie of all time menace to society when Lauren it's not Lawrence Fishburne it's, it's always the dude with the lazy eye forget him but the point of it is his son was a Muslim and he said 
if Muhammad can make him a better man than Jesus can, then I'm all for it. So I'm like, hey, whatever floats your boat, if it makes you a better person, by all means. So this is this is something I'm definitely interested in. And I might cop a paperback book too, you know, the cheaper version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's him. But a lot of people, I mean, talk about him. There was there was Craig Hodges was another one. You know, in the 90s, he played for those Bulls teams. He, uh, I remember he famously apparently like wrote a letter to the first George W. Bush um, asking him what he planned to do to address racism and, and some other issues within the black community. And he ended up losing his NBA career as well. You know, so it, it's been examples of this throughout, you know, the 90s and 2000s and then obviously Colin Kaepernick was the most recent and the most famous one to do it and has had the backing of all these people so it's just really cool to see him and Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf like team up I actually got to meet him at NABJ when it was in New Orleans because he used to go to LSU back when his name was Chris Jackson he was a really good ball player at LSU so like I met him I met one of his old coaches or his old coach so he got nominated to like the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame it was it was a cool it was a cool little experience to, to see him so and that, that was around the time that Kaepernick actually was still in the middle of his thing so shout out to the both of them getting that done and I do I too enjoy a great autobiography that's like one of my favorite genres of book so <laughs> so yeah but moving on there was history made in women's college basketball this week a young lady by the name of Akoya Lee who plays for Kansas State became the first female basketball player to score 60 points in a college game. She was killing them niggas. <laughs> you know? You know? So, shout out to Akoya Lee for her historic 60-point game, man. That that That's crazy. I always say women's basketball is just better than the men's game, bro. I don't care what nobody says. At women's the college basketball level. is way more physical than the men's game. And more, more fast-paced. See, the, the thing about women's basketball is... College basketball in particular. College basketball, in particular, you in a in a sense you do kind of have to be a basketball purist because look, no one's getting dunked on, uh, no, no one's really gonna high fly through the air. Some ankles will be taken, some ankles definitely will be taken, but it takes away just the pure. It takes away a lot of the superficial entertainment value and mm-hmm. just leaves you with the game. And if you love the game, you love the game. It doesn't matter who's playing. If you love getting buckets. The women's game is for you, because they be getting buckets. And look, I don't care if it's a two-year-old out there. 60 points is 60 points. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah. But yeah, I've always liked women's college basketball has always been better than me than the men's. Because, you know, I think those they stick around a little bit longer. So you, you get to know those players a little bit better. Because they don't have a one-and-done rule for women. So it's exactly. like... So, so you get to see them... Um, grow and develop, especially if they have like a, a all-time great coach, because you can you see the real relationship that they have. Like, yeah, like be real. I'm sure Coach K love love Jason Tatum. I'm sure he does. But you can't look me in the eye and tell me the relationship he had in the seven months that he knew Jason Tatum is the same relationship he had with the four years he knew JJ Reddick. Right. You, you can you can't tell me that. And in women's basketball, they all stay for years. They don't have a choice. Yeah. Point blank period. Point blank. So, you know, shout out to Aquila Lee. Shout out to all the women out there 
you know, ballers are ballers. You know, these these little weirdos on Twitter that be talking about, oh, go in the kitchen. It's like, bro, you cannot get buckets. Those are the same people who can't get buckets. They can't. That's all it is. Can't get buckets. Can't. Now, we will wrap this show up with a segment I like to call Let's Play a Game. We're going to play. We're going to ask a question because we got a special question for the week. And, you know, obviously... Overtime was the focus of yesterday. You know, everybody was talking about, oh, OT rules need to be changed in, in the NFL because, you know, the Bills didn't get a chance to get the possession and go down and all of this whining, crying, blah, blah, blah. So it got me thinking, Jamal, if you had to pick any sport that you could think of, if there was one rule that you could change in that sport, what sport is it, and what rule would you change? Oh, I'm, I'm definitely changing a rule in football. So what we're doing here is we're making it just like hockey. If you get an unsport, if you get an unsportsmanlike uh, penalty that you do not agree with, you get ten seconds to fight it out with whoever it was against. Oh, look, I love it! I love it. And, and look, it's football. You're fully padded up. Nobody gets to take off any equipment to fight. You have to fight fully padded up. And anyone who's ever fought while they're at football practice or in a game or whatever, you know you can't really fight. It's more like aggressive wrestling. Yeah. Which I'm okay with. It's a, it's safe. It's all right. And you know what? It, the odds of someone getting seriously hurt, not that high. Not that high. Yeah, yeah, I get it, and I, and you see it happen with linemen, especially like they be fighting in between plays all the time. Anyway, Aaron Donald I mean, almost took somebody's head off. I mean, you have Arizona. to when you're linemen, like you're you're almost fighting every play anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, point blank. Now me, if I had to change any rules, I kind of sort of like I like NFL overtime. It would be interesting to see. College style, like I'd make a rule in overtime. Basically, both teams start at the fifty-yard line and go down to score. But when you score a touchdown, you have to go for two rather than kick an extra point. You know, that's what I would change. Also, get rid of targeting. Uh, the targeting is the worst. Penalty the, just the, the worst penalty in sports. Or at least set it up like an NBA where you have a system. Like you have a flagrant one where you can it's targeting, but you can tell this wasn't head hunting. It just was it happened this way. You don't need to throw him out versus a targeting play where it's like, bro, you need to get him out of here. He's crazy. <laughs> and, the, and the hardest thing, the, one of the dumb things that they don't include when targeting is the difference in size in guys. Yep. I, I, re- I remember this one specifically because it, it involved me personally. My friend Jason Hall played safety at Texas years ago. Jason is a solid 6'3", 6'4". And the guy he was tackling at TCU's name is Desmond White. Desmond White is a solid football player. But Des is 5'7". It does not matter how low Jason gets. He's going to hit him high because he's got damn near a foot height difference on him. And also, a lot of things that don't, especially with receivers, because they're the ones that get these calls more than anything, a lot of them will duck their heads first and initiate that helmet-to-helmet contact. But the targeting is always going to be called on the defensive player. 
exactly. who can't it's, do anything about it. Like, what are you supposed to do? Just let them ole? Let them go by? Like, because you gotta remember, it's human response. When you're in danger or you feel like you're gonna get hit, you duck your head. Embrace you're for the contact. protected. Yeah. That's just human reaction. Human reaction. Who you are, how well you're trained, that's what you're gonna do in the heat of the moment. Exactly. And with other players, they can't defy gravity. Like it's not, it's not possible to just immediately in the heat of the moment think, "All right, no, duck. okay, let's get up here and turn my leg here and do this." You're gonna tear something. You're gonna break something. Like it, it, it's not worth it. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to fight the momentum that you've already built up, it's basically not impossible. Possible. Yeah, you can't defy gravity. It's laws of. Law, it's Isaac's laws of motion. Like, he like, can't. You are not Goku. We An object fly. in motion stays in motion unless acted upon by an, by a, nope. another force or whatever by it is. Outside yeah. force. Inertia is a property of matter. Shout we out to 7th grade science. We watched our Bill Nye videos. Exactly. Shout out to 7th grade science. We, we was out here paying attention. But... We are going to wrap up another fantastic episode of the Play-By-Play Analysis Podcast. Shout out to Jamal for being here. And shout out to X, even though he had to duck earlier. You know, so shout out to y'all. Jamal, plug yourself in real quick. Hey, you know, I'm always happy to do so. So you can catch me on the one and only D1 Indian University Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts, wherever you choose to get your podcast, I'm there. If you're tired of hearing me, well, that's too damn bad. I'm hilarious. Happy exactly. to be here, Dev. And you know what? I'm basically a co-host at this point. I need to check. Yeah, I'm going to check that out for you. Um, we, we were going to see about a check. We'll see. But we, this has been the play-by-play analysis podcast. It's your boy Devin Ashby, SK Play Play Play. If you know, you know. If you don't know, don't worry about it. And don't worry about the fact I just butchered that. Y'all know what the hell my name is. All right, but, but I gotta, I gotta go though. We gonna go. We gonna see y'all when we see y'all. Happy Championship Sunday in advance. Deuces. We out.